I'm going to turn your attention to a very familiar scripture that we're all aware of. This is Philippians chapter 4 and uh, verses 4 through 7. And then if you want to kind of uh, puppy dog ear that page, we're going to come back to it in a little bit. But um, let me read just the verses 4 through 7 for now, and uh, we'll talk about it. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all your comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, this is, uh, again, a familiar verse. Uh, we've read this, we've heard this, and uh, quite beautiful. And, and I, I was excited about talking about this, and I think a lot of folks are probably talking about this scripture today or last week uh, as it relates to the word Thanksgiving's in it. Uh, it's perfect. And so, uh, but the, the big picture, what, what the Apostle Paul is getting at is something uh, that we would all want to some degree. We would all crave. And, and that's sort of the big picture of what he's talking about, and that is peace. Uh, this is a conversation about peace. I would even say this is a bit of a recipe for experiencing the peace of God. And, uh, and peace that, that doesn't even make sense to us. It's a piece that we can't even fully wrap our minds around. We don't even know why we feel it. It's just there. It's a, it's a supernatural piece from God. And, uh, and that's exactly what he's talking about. Now, uh, before we delve into the, the ins and outs of this, this verse, uh, I, I do want to say this. Um, peace is not something that is earned. Uh, it's not something that is achieved uh, it's not something that we could provide for ourselves or create or manufacture or manifest. Uh, peace is freely given. And uh, I want to turn your attention back to John chapter 14, verse 27. Uh, Jesus makes this statement and, uh, and he, he promises this amazing gift to all of us. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Uh, do I give it to you, but, but let, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be fearful. Um, peace I leave, peace I give. It sounds redundant, but he's saying, uh, I, I'm giving you peace with God. I'm providing peace with God. I'm settling all accounts between you and God. I've closed the, the chasm, the divide between you and God. Uh, the sin that, that caused us to be separate, separated from God. Jesus closed that gap. He, he provided a bridge, access to the Father. That's, that's, the, that's the will of the Son, to bring us to the Father. So peace with God is provided, but also the peace of God is continuous, per, present perfect tense, the way that it's said. It's, it's a continual, constant, I'm bringing you, I'm giving you, I'm offering you the peace of God. Now, the variable in what Paul is talking about is not earning or achieving peace that otherwise is not ours. Uh, Paul is talking about living in and experiencing the peace that we already have available to us. There, there's a similar idea in, um, in John chapter 15. So just right after what we just read, um, Jesus says to his disciples uh, in the upper room, he says, hey, if you keep my commandments, then you will abide in my love. So it, it makes you feel like love is conditional. Uh, it makes you feel like that, that the love of God is conditional based on our keeping of the commandments. 
But as he goes on, that, that's not at all the case. He loves everyone. He freely gives love. Love is available. Love, in fact, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What motivated that death? His amazing, unfailing love for all of us. So it's not a conditionality of love. It is a conditionality on experiencing, living in, and experiencing the reality of. Just because you're loved doesn't mean you feel loved. Just because you're loved doesn't mean you're, you're, you act loved or, or think in such a way that you're loved. So what, what Jesus is talking about here is experiencing the reality of his love. He uses the word abide, living in the reality of it, engaging with it, practicing his love. In the commandments he's talking about, he's not talking about the, 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 the commandments given to Moses. He's talking about, he goes on to say, my commandments, love, love others as I have loved you. And so this is, this is us engaging with the love that's freely given to us. He's, Paul's talking about the same idea. Peace that is freely given to us, just because we have it doesn't mean that we actualize it or believe that we have it. Have you ever talked to somebody who you're looking at their life and you're like, man, they, they have it pretty good, but they're stressed out and they're anxious and they're worried and they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And you're like, just, just it, it's pretty good now. Enjoy that because life gets bumpy. Well, it's easier to see in somebody else. We do the same thing all the time. Uh, just because we have peace with God doesn't mean that we live in it and engage with it. So that's the overall conversation that's happening. His encouragement is this. Rejoice. He, he goes on to say it again. He's like, rejoice. Again, I'll say to you, rejoice. As if to say, seriously, rejoice. To rejoice is, is it's a verb. It's the, the activity, the action of living out joy, uh, it is an expression of joy. To rejoice is to let joy overflow and, and to express that. Uh, in fact, in the four short chapters of this letter to the church in Philippi, uh, Paul says uh, joy or rejoice, something of, to that nature, 20 times in four chapters. And he's really going after this idea of rejoicing. And so, cultivate a life of joy. Live joyful. Uh, rejoice continually. He says this, rejoice always. <laughs> in every circumstance, in every situation, all the time, live in a, this, this perpetual state of joy. Which is, joy is something that we probably commonly view as a fleeting feeling that you've got to really align all the circumstances in your life to feel that fleeting feeling of joy for just moments at a time. Uh, how many of you guys love vacationing? Anyone besides me? I love it. Um, vacations, if you really dissect it, if you get down to the heart of the matter, what are we doing? We're engineering a week of our life, in, with at least one week of our life in a year, where joy is present. And we spare no expense, we plan it, we strategize it, we make sure the right people are going and the wrong people are not going. In fact, that's part of vacation, is getting away from the wrong people, right? Escaping the people that we don't want to be around, the joy stealers. And, uh, and so we, we do that. Christmas, I think the reason people are like, why are we celebrating Christmas like the day after Halloween nowadays? Well, I think, I think part of it is because Christmas for a lot of folks, not for everyone, 
it represents joy. Joy to the world. That's, that's part of it. And so we're, we're trying to stretch out that feeling, that sensation of joy, longer and longer and longer. Because when the Harry Connick Jr. Christmas song, you know, songs hit, you're like, okay, life is pretty good. So we try to stretch that out. And, and what Paul is saying is this. Rejoice year-round. Live in joy 365 days out of the year. And he doubles down. He says, not only that, while you're doing that, be anxious for nothing. So he's a rejoice in everything, always, and be anxious for absolutely nothing. Paul is being very unrealistic. He's not talking sensibly here. But he goes on to say this. Um, to rejoice always and, uh, and be anxious for nothing. Instead of that, um, pray with thanksgiving. Now, all this kind of is, is fueled by the first thing he said. Rejoice. Joy. Joy, joy is kind of the, the lighting of the fuse of this whole conversation. Um, there is a great author, speaker uh, named Brene Brown and uh, read several of her books. And if you're unfamiliar, she is a, uh, someone who has given her life to researching uh, shame. And she writes of joy quite a bit because it seems to be something that uh, people experience shame uh, need. And so she said that in, in one of her books that joy in her research she has found is <clears throat> probably the most difficult and terrifying human emotion to embrace. Uh, and she goes on to say that the reason it is so difficult for human beings to live in a place of joy or to experience joy is because, uh, as she put it, uh, people are continually dress rehearsing tragedy. So uh, maybe you're like me, but I've been in this place quite a bit. Things are going well. Life is pretty good. And you stop, and it's almost like uh, in the, the cliche in the movies, it's quiet, too quiet. You don't trust the goodness that you're experiencing. So there's something in the back of our brain that is waiting for the other shoot to drop. It's like we can't trust goodness. And so uh, what I do, and, and I'll just kind of admit this, I, I continually bring up different scenarios in my mind that could happen so that I can go ahead and have a, a game plan of how to resolve the issues that haven't happened that I'm making up in my mind. I can have countless contingency plans to remedy these pretend problems that aren't even a reality. It's not good. <laughs> It's not, that's not a good thing that I do. I'm not up here telling you that I recommend it. I do not. I, I give that one star on my Yelp review. It is not good. Don't do that. But that's what she calls dress rehearsing tragedy. Having a, a, a baby is the most pure sensation of joy that I, I think I've ever experienced. It, the the, the potency of the joy in the moment of meeting my daughter Berkeley was 
overwhelming. Now, Sonia, when Sonia and I met back in uh, 1999, uh, it was love at first sight for her. I had to warm up a little bit. And uh, so I fell in love with Sonia over the process of, you know, weeks and months. And, uh, but this little girl that we named Berkeley, uh, immediately meeting her, I loved her with every ounce of being that I had. There was no falling in love. There was no getting to know. There was, I love this thing. I would die for this. And she didn't look terribly pleasing either in that moment. She's gotten way cuter. That, that moment, you're like, oof. It's like the movie Alien. Um, no, she was cute. But I, you know, it's a very, it's, it's a lot to that moment. And you feel this sensation of joy overwhelm you. And it's like, oh man, this is, this is so good. And so uh, now immediately, as soon as that baby is born, you start worrying. Immediately. In fact, it, it, it sort of engages a lifetime of worry. And I, I got to say this, and, and I'm not, I'm not um, picking on anybody at all, but it is very, very common for the priority, uh, the, the primary uh, vehicle in which we parent is oftentimes fear. Fear becomes the way that we parent. And I'm here to say, that's not good. Um, maybe you've had a lot of broken relationships and maybe you've had your heart broken quite a bit. So when you find someone that you feel like you want to spend the rest of your life with, there's a lot of fear and trepidation and a lot of couples, a lot of relationships are really coming from a place of fear. Fear of being alone. Fear of being hurt. And so the relationship oftentimes is governed by fear. The way that we do life, the way that we interact with human beings, maybe you've had friendships that have blown up in your face, maybe people have betrayed you, and so a lot of times people do relationships, do friendships based out of fear. Fear is a huge motivator in our world. Flip on the media at any given moment. The the news feed on your phone, you flip on the news, it is 100% fear. And because fear moves people, fear is a great motivator. It connects with everybody. But the Bible doesn't say we walk by fear. The Bible doesn't say the righteous live by fear. It's faith. Faith is the way in which we're supposed to live. And what lives at the other end of that spectrum is fear. And unfortunately, most of what we do and most of the decisions we make are oftentimes made out of fear. So when Brene Brown says that joy is one of the most difficult human emotions to lean into, it's because we have this cloud of fear completely dampening that opportunity for us all the time. Which is why Paul says, let's get rid of anxiety. Let's get rid of fear, which is, sounds difficult enough, and it's way harder than he makes it sound. So what he is encouraging is that we uh, instead live in a place of joy. Now, uh, Brene Brown, just to, I'll finish up quoting her uh, here, but she, she found a common denominator in her research. 
She said there are a few people that she's come across that more often than not, they are living in a place of joy. And she said that the common denominator in every single case, they practice intentional gratitude every day. She said that uh, in 100% of the cases of people who actually experience joy on a regular basis, practice intentional gratitude. They are thankful. Which is amazing, because she, this is research. And I, I do believe she's a believer, but I, I, I think that her research is honest, and that she's exploring exactly the function of what people are experiencing. And it just so happens to point us back to this statement made, made thousands of years ago by this guy named Paul. Who, who sets it up. He says, so, I want you to rejoice. Seriously, rejoice always. And he mentions that, and then he goes immediately into the very thing that opens the door to experiencing joy. He says, I want you to pray with thanksgiving. Be grateful. And then he doubles down on this. We'll read it in a second. He really goes into the idea of gratitude, but he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, exactly what Brene Brown's research has shown, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Philippi. I want you to experience joy, always. And this is a part of it, to pray with thanksgiving. Now, what he's saying is, be anxious for nothing. Instead of anxiety, instead of choosing anxiety, how about we choose something far better and far more helpful? And that is to pray with thanksgiving. Uh, Jesus said, Sermon on the Mount, he says, what does worrying do for you? How can worrying about tomorrow add one minute to your life? It can't help you. Worrying helps nothing. To worry about something does not help you. In fact, it hurts you. I, I've, I've been around people who, who think that if you are not stressed out, then you don't care. I've officiated about 4,050 million weddings. Not a real number, but somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, and uh, a lot of wedding planners are in the industry of being a wedding planner because they are extremely um, meticulous is the best word I can use. And so uh, when, I, when I get involved in a wedding or rehearsal and I sense that everyone is stressed out, uh, the groom's about to pass out, the bride is stressed out about you know, the color of the napkins, and, and, and it's like this whole tense, the mom of the bride, whoo, Jesus, help us. Um, and I just, I, I like to bring, blessed are the peacemakers, right? So I like to bring the temperature of the room down, so I'll start doing something goofy just to uh, get some laughter going, to bring joy to the table. Well, uh, a lot of times the wedding planner starts to look at me with fire in their eyes, a murderous glare from, and like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, we're trying to enjoy the moment. And what's perceived is you cutting up and goofing off and, and laughing is you not taking this moment seriously. If you took it seriously, you'd be just as stressed out as everybody else. Stress does not mean you care. Stress just means you don't trust. Stress means that you think it's riding on you and you're not convinced that Jesus has it. So Paul is encouraging us, hey, instead of anxiety, pray. 
What is prayer? Now, prayer, we're kind of talking about prayer in our small groups. Uh, in our, we're doing videos with our small groups talking about prayer. And, and part of prayer is just a perpetual conversation with God. To pray without ceasing is to just keep the lines of communication open, to talk to God. But Paul is talking about a very specific type of prayer. There's lots of different types of prayers. But he, he, he goes on to describe it. He says, let your requests be made known to God. Supplication. He's saying a specific type of prayer. And what this type of prayer is, is something that uh, Peter talks about in 1 Peter, I think it's 5, 7. He says, to cast your worries, to cast your anxiety upon God because He cares for you. So what Paul is talking about is prayer, making your request known to God, you're praying because you need something. You're praying because you lack something. So prayer in this, 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 this type of prayer that he's talking about is uh, for what you lack. Now, it, it says to make your request known to God. That doesn't mean that God's unaware before you talk to Him. It's not like you're giving God a heads up, like, God, did you see this? He's like, no, no, I wasn't paying attention. Uh, he's very well aware. That's not, that's not what you're doing, but, but what you're doing, in, in, in all honesty, is you're, you're, you're saying, God, I can't do anything about this. It, you're, you're delegating. You're re-gifting. You're taking your cares and saying, God, I got nothing. Can you please? Now, now it's for what you lack. You're, 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 you're praying for what you lack. Now, immediately, Paul says, with thanksgiving... Now, here's the dichotomy, right? You pray, pray for what you lack, and then immediately enter Thanksgiving, which is for what you have. So, he says, pray with Thanksgiving. So, both of these things coexisting, praying, going, seeking God for what you lack, and in that moment, realizing what you already have. That's how he's encouraging us to pray. Now, there's a, there's a really great scene that comes to mind when I think about that, that, that dichotomy. Uh, we're all familiar with it. It's Matthew chapter 8. We find this story. Um, uh, Jesus is in a boat with his disciples. They're traveling uh, across some water, and they are uh, in the boat. Jesus has taken this moment to take a power nap. He's sleeping on the boat. I can't sleep on a plane. I can't sleep in a car. I don't think I could sleep on a boat. I've never tried. But Jesus is Jesus. So he manages to sleep on the boat. The storms, the storms kind of start brewing. And these guys are not in an ocean liner. They're in a little bitty boat. And a storm starts picking up. Now, disciples, if you read the Bible, you find out that they are allergic to storms. This is kryptonite to them. They, they really lose their mind over storms. A storm starts brewing. They feel extremely vulnerable, and so they immediately start to try to wake up Jesus. Now, this is exactly what Paul's talking about. Go to Jesus for what you lack. And in this moment, they lacked safety, they lacked security, and probably most importantly, they lacked peace. They've got no peace. So they wake up Jesus, and this is the way the Bible puts it. Jesus, we're, we're dying. A little dramatic, 
Slight hyperbole, but who doesn't do that? Father, I'm coming to you because this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. What happened? The thing that I'm trying to get my child for Christmas is back-ordered until January. (laughs) My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? (laughs) Perspective is key, but they're waking up, they're like, we're dying out here. Now, I can't imagine being in a little boat out in the middle of a sea with a storm brewing. I would freak out too. But they go to Jesus, and what, what does Jesus do? Immediately, he goes, guys, where's your faith? You're being ruled by fear, ruled by anxiety. And this is, what, this is the key to the whole thing. And, and he's, not just, he's not like he's reprimanding them. He's sharing something in a moment that is going to benefit people in Chattanooga, Tennessee, 2,000 years later, right? He's, he's, he's connecting the dots for us. So they were overwhelmed by the size of the storm, the power of the storm. It was bigger than them. Their problems are bigger than they are. And they can't do anything about it. So they're praying. They are making their requests known to God. But they forgot about who is in their boat. They forgot that God himself is in the boat. So even if God hates their guts, he likes Jesus. You're with Jesus. I think you're good. But they forgot. They were, only, they were overwhelmed by what they lacked, but they, they didn't remember what they already had. And so what Jesus does, he calms the storm in their hearts first. Guys, I'm in your boat. And then he, then he starts working on their circumstances. And then they see that and they say, what kind of man, who is this? Who can tell the winds and the waves to behave? They had a realization in that moment. Wait, the storm's bigger than us, but Jesus is bigger than the storm. And I'm with Jesus. It's a paradigm shift. This is the thanksgiving that Paul is getting at. We, we get so consumed by what we lack in the moment that we lose sight of what we already have. Jesus is in your boat. You are with him, and he is with you. And he, as the old song goes, he's got the whole world in his hands. So Paul follows up these verses just to bring it home, just to make sure that we get it. Uh, So if you flip down to verses 8 and 9 here in, uh, in Philippians 4, he says this, finally, brethren, Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's good, of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and have received, have already received and heard and seen. That's all past tense. Practice these things. Live them out. Embrace them. Actualize them. And the God of peace will be with you. And he brings it back home to peace. Because that's what this whole conversation is about. Peace. Experiencing peace. Engaging with peace. Living in the reality of the perfect peace of God. But he goes into this whole thing about whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, whatever is worthy of praise. Now, a lot of folks would take that and they would, they would 
kick into this idea of focus on the positive. Just focus on the positive and everything will be fine. That's not at all what's being said here. This is not a focus on the, the positive uh, spiel. This, we, you, we would be reducing what Paul is saying to turn it into that. Jesus likes us being real. Jesus likes us being honest. The most honest prayers are, he's saying, I want you to pray for what you lack. I want you to make your request known to God. You don't have to put niceties around it. I learned how to pray when I was a kid in a desperate place of depression and anxiety and worry and stress. And I cried out and I probably used some expletives, but I was extremely honest. And I think God would rather us be honest. He's a big boy. He can take it. So he's looking for honest prayers. To cast your cares is a, is, is, a, is a request to say, I want you to be honest with me. What you really care about. I think a lot of people have this pent-up stuff because they don't know where to put it. And God's like, bring it here. Talk to me. He's saying that. He wants us to be real. It's not about posit- positivity. What this conversation about is about, that Paul's having, is about dependence. He's, he's saying, I want you to be reminded of these things that you can't create. What is worthy of praise? Who is worthy of praise? He's talking about Jesus. This whole diatribe, I'll read it one more time. Whatever's true, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Whatever's honorable, whatever's right, one is right, one is good. Whatever's pure, only Jesus fits that bill. Whatever's lovely, that is Christ. Whatever's good, of good repute, that's Jesus. If there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, Jesus, Jesus, Dwell on these things. Focus on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Consider Him who has endured hostility. Consider Him who has overcome the world. Uh, We can take heart because He's overcome this world. Consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Paul's bringing us home. And and he, he doesn't just say Jesus. He starts talking about these qualities because I think that sometimes we just think of Jesus as being the baby in the manger. No, he is, he is everything to us. He is everything that we need. He meets every need as we have it. Jesus is all that we need. In every situation, he supplies every need. He's our source. So Paul's saying, consider this. Be reminded of this. Think on these things. Obsess over these things. Make these the, mo- the biggest things in your brain. And he says this after he, he talks about praying. About what you lack. What we need. That's an honest conversation. Jesus, I need another job. This one ain't cutting it. I need a job. I don't have one. Jesus, we want a family. And it's not happening. Jesus, I, I need peace in my family. I need peace in my home. I need, I need something to change financially. I need someone to, I need you to intervene with my health. You can't change, you can't fix, you can't, we, this is not take the ball in our court and go make it happen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. All of the ground is sinking sand. So, Paul is encouraging us to lift our eyes above ourselves, beyond ourselves, beyond our circumstances, 
to focus on how good God is, how faithful God is, and how much He desperately loves us. I, I, I do not want to give more focus and attention to what's wrong or to what, to what, I'm, what I'm lacking more so than what God has done in my life, who I am because of God, who's in my life because of God. Look, at, look what the Lord has done. We give so much credence to what's wrong and we don't ever stop to realize how faithful God has been this whole time. 100% of the problems that you've endured, you've made it through alive. You can fact check me on that. Heart's still beating. And you might be sitting in the middle of the toughest storm that you've been in. But God is incredibly faithful. And this too shall pass. And he will walk you through every step of the way. I, last Tuesday was my birthday. And I, I turned 45 years old. And my wife said, let's go out and let's hang out. And so we, we did a little day date. And she left it all up to me, right? So, of course, what do I choose? We, we jump, jump in the car and I drive to Dalton, Georgia, so that I could eat at Western Sizzlin. Of all the places. Of all the gin joints in all the world. Uh, so, we go there because on the inside I'm 87 years old. And during the day we hit a couple of antique shops. Again, one of the Golden Girls. Uh, I love cheesecake. And so we, we hit uh, some antique shops. We bought a, a couple of little Christmas decorations for the house. And, uh, oh, I didn't mention this. We're at Western Sizzlin, and I go to order my teriyaki chicken that I like to get with a baked potato and, uh, and, so, and a salad bar. And uh, she's like, hey, uh, the teriyaki chicken, we got a special today. The thing that I order is a special, so I get double chicken. <laughs> Check that out. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Um, so we, we hang out, we goof off, and there's moments throughout the day where I'm just like, man, the, the days don't get better. And it's not, it's not your ideal day, but it was mine. And, and I'm with the most amazing human being, and so I'm just, I, it's a dream day. It's beautiful weather, and it's, it's, it's amazing. And then uh, Bert comes home, and my, my wife makes us tachos, which is nachos with tater tots. There's chili involved. It's, it's glorious. They, uh, Burke and Sonia made me a cake, uh, just my, the perfect cake for me. And uh, because my daughter loves me, we watched uh, Encino Man together with Polly Shore and Brendan Fraser. And, uh, and she would never watch it because it's stupid. And she watched it with me because she loves me. It's my birthday. Um, and my daughter got me a, a sticker of a, a little scene from the movie So I Married an Axe Murderer. It was the most thoughtful gift. And in a, a Smashing Pumpkins t-shirt, she gets me. She gets me. And a Zach Morris Christmas ornament for my tree. Um, I, I feel very loved. And so that whole day, I'm like, man, just life does not get sweeter. And it wasn't, we weren't at Disney World. We weren't on vacation. It was just a day. And, and in those moments, those rare moments where you just kind of get a glimpse of, man, this is so good. And those moments are there always. They're continual. Just to look at your family and just look what God has given you. To, to consider the fact that your car started this morning, uh, obviously, you're here. So that's a gift. And uh, the fact that we, we have friends, that we have this beautiful place to be. And 
um, I was clean, my wife and I were cleaning up after an event last night and um, trying to make the place nice and sparkly for this morning. And, and I'm just sitting here. I stopped for a moment. I was just like, uh, two years ago, we didn't have a place that was our own. And now we do. And what a gift that is. And, and I think we've got to slow down a little bit and, and start taking notice of how faithful God's been this whole time. Because it's pretty easy to get obsessive over that one thing. That one thing. Um, it's like getting a splinter. It's all you can think about in that moment. And, and it's like God saying, come on, I've, I've done so much. I'll take care of the splinter, but I, I want you to know, realize, I love you, I got you, and, and I'm, I'm faithful. So I, I'm writing this message yesterday in my office, and I was listening to uh, the Home Alone soundtrack, and, which is glorious. And um, my, this is the best Christmas movie ever made, by the way. If you disagree, there's other churches in town. <clears throat> I think there's a thousand other ones. Um, I'm, I'm writing this message. I'm sipping iced coffee. It's, and I'm talking about not being anxious and embracing peace. And then it hits me, it dawns on me, the Apostle Paul is writing these verses that this message is based on to this community in the northern part of Greece um, who are experiencing extreme heartache, extreme opposition, division. Just the verses before we just read, there was, there was a division between these two gals in the church who just cannot get along, who are just arguing and quarreling probably over trivial matters. There are two women who have been engaged in ministry and helping Paul advance the gospel, but there's, a, there's, some, there's some words being spoken. So this is a community that's really going through a lot of unrest and a lot of opposition. The, the people around them, they're, they're experiencing some major oppression. And the whole time, Paul is saying, guys, don't be anxious, pray. I want you to experience joy. And Paul is writing this from a, a, a Roman prison. This letter is coming. He's writing this from a cold, dark prison cell in Rome. And he's saying, guys, get, pick your heads up. God's good. And it's just a reminder. It, joy, peace, Thanksgiving are not circumstantial. It's far bigger and broader and deeper than that. This is not, you don't have joy because of circumstances allowing it to happen. You don't, you don't have peace because circumstances allow it to happen. You don't experience gratitude because circumstances allow it to happen. There are, these are things that are medicinal through every circumstance. In fact, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. How do we get through these circumstances? we got to have joy. we got to have it. God is not an outside-in kind of guy. He's an inside-out kind of guy. He doesn't rearrange the circumstances so that you can experience peace. He just gives you peace straight up and says, let that peace affect the world around you. He's the fount of every blessing. I want to read one last... Uh, scripture. This is Psalm 63, verse 3, and I'll close with this. Uh, this is written by David, and we all know the story of David. 
lots of drama surrounding this young man, but uh, this is what he writes. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Uh, David found time to write this while he's on the run from Absalom, fearing for his life, going through absolute unrest in hell. And it's as if to say, no matter what I face, God's got me. I have God, and God has me, no matter what. And I love this statement, because you're steadfast. What does that mean? It doesn't change. It's not a moving target. I'm here to say and proclaim to you, no matter what anybody's ever told you in a church ever, his love is not a moving target. He loves you. You, you, you can't out-sin His love. You can't outrun His love. You can't break it. You can't shake it. There's nothing you, you, there is nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. Nothing. Yeah, but I messed up. Who hasn't? We all fall dramatically short, but you know what? God's love is fixed. It is steadfast. And what David said is so true. It's better than life. Because this life, this life, our existence here on earth, is going to come to an end. Uh, I heard someone say one time, you know, half of marriages end in divorce. And I said, you know, it's even more dramatic. The other half end in death. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> This life is going to come to an end, but you know what endures forever? His love for us. And we get to experience that for eternity. Your love is better than life. And because of that, because of that, not because of circumstances, not because of vacation, not because of Christmas music, not because the kids are doing good in school, not because I got a raise, because of that reality, my lips will praise you. I will rejoice. I will praise you. I will worship you. I will, I will be grateful. I will experience thanksgiving, and I will express thanksgiving because your love is better than life. I'm grateful, and I'm getting grateful. I think the older I get, the more grateful I get, and I think part of it is just because I'm slowing down and noticing more and more and more, and, and you know if you live a few years, you know that things come and they go. And great friends come and they go. And we experience heartbreak and loss. Family members and friends pass away. And it is, it is devastating. But then you stop and you're so grateful for the time that you had. And so to really lean into and experience gratitude in every moment of every day is a gift. And it opens the door to joy I'm grateful, not because everything's good, but because Jesus is good and Jesus is everything.